Hey everybody, this is Pastor Dan Jackson with Jacob's Well Church. Due to the spread of the coronavirus, on Sunday, March 22, 2020, we started posting online video Sunday virtual church services. The audio you are about to listen to is taken from the video footage of one of those virtual church services. Our hope and prayer is that through this message, God would minister to you, draw you closer to himself, and strengthen you to live for his glory. To watch videos of our church services, or to connect to Jacob's Well Church, or to just get more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning, Jacob's Well Church. Oh, I miss you guys. I miss fellowshipping with you, hugging you, giving handshakes, smiling with you, talking with you. I miss you. Um, as you can probably guess, I am not in Green Bay. I am in Lago Vista, Texas, which I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, in a little bit. But, uh, but just, just an encouragement before we get into God's Word today. I want to encourage you all to continue to be intentional about connecting to one another through phone calls, through FaceTime, through Zoom, any of those things. Uh, I know our community group is getting together this week at 8 p.m. so we can put the little kids to bed and have some time. Uh, face-to-face over the computer just to fellowship and encourage and to study God's Word together. I want to encourage you to consider the same. If you are not connected to a small group, if you're really lonely, I encourage you to reach out to our administrative assistant, Angie Tolfa, or to myself, and we can help get you connected. Uh, like I mentioned, uh, I'm not in Green Bay. I'm down here in Lago Vista, Texas. It is just north of Austin, Texas. And the reason why I'm down here is because last week, I had vacation. Uh, it was planned out a long time ago, and I was going to fly down here for $40 round trip out of Chicago, but canceled that flight because we wanted to be very careful. And so me and my whole family loaded up in our Suburban, and we drove 20 hours straight through from Green Bay, Wisconsin, down to Lago Vista, Texas, which again is just north of Austin. And we were being careful the whole way, making sure we didn't go into restaurants and things like that. And didn't want to stay in a hotel. And so, like I said, we just drove 20 hours straight through. And when you drive 20 hours straight through, one of the things that happens is that you can't drive the entire way. You're just not physically able to do so. And so I had to share the driving responsibilities with my wife. And when I share the driving responsibilities with my wife, it is a reminder to me that I am a control freak. Uh, when my wife drives, just being honest, I don't feel quite as safe. I feel a little scared. I feel nervous. I feel vulnerable uh, because I'm not in control. Now, you may say, well, maybe Pastor Dan thinks that because his wife has been in a lot of accidents. But you would be mistaken. My wife reminds me frequently when I get nervous when she's driving that since we have known each other, I have totaled two cars and she has totaled zero cars. And so um, I'm reminded of that, and that does calm my soul, but I'm a control freak. I want to be in control of things, especially when it gets dark at night or when there's semis or when the lanes get tight, when there's construction, things like that. I want to be in control. What is growing on in the world right now with the coronavirus is a reminder that we are not in control, that we ourselves are weak, we are fragile, we are small. And this can lead us to feelings of 
helplessness and fear, uh, no matter how much social distancing we do or how much hand sanitizer we lather, lather on, we can feel out of control. But the good news is that this does not take God by surprise. And so God and his word addresses us as his people. God is going to speak to us today. Consider it a public service announcement from the Lord if you want, or a press release from God. But God has a word for us in this moment of history. If you would please open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. Uh, it's about midway through the Bible. If you open it up in the middle, you'll get around the Psalms. You can also look at it in the worship guide. It will be posted there as well. Psalm 23 is probably the most beloved psalm of all 150 psalms. Um, Spurgeon calls it the pearl of psalms. Alexander McLaren says that this psalm has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith into. Psalm 23 just might be the most famous poem and song of all times. And yet, while many have heard the psalm, many times we have not plumbed the depths of this psalm. And so I want to do that today. It's going to take a little bit of time, but it's so good. I want to try something a little different today. I want you, wherever you are, to read out loud the psalm with me. I know that feels a little weird, a little awkward if other people are, are, are around you, but I want to encourage you to read it out loud with me. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, but you can read from whatever version you have in front of you. And I want to read this out loud so that we can verbally hear these words and let them wash over our restless souls. Okay? So let's read together Psalm 23. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you in this time that is very unstable, a time that can be scary, and we come to your word trusting that you will minister to our souls through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray for those who are in harm's ways. We think of doctors and people in the grocery stores and other essential occupations. Pray for their protection, God. And Lord, pray more than anything that they would find the hope that we have here in Psalm 23. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are indeed living in a time that is very uncertain and unstable and unsettling. Everyone is told to stay in their yards. Uh, some people are wondering if they're going to have enough money to pay the bills. Some of you are even wondering if you're going to be alive this time next year. 
Indeed, there are those that are listening to this sermon. There are probably some who will catch the coronavirus. Maybe many of us will. Maybe all of us will. And there are some that will probably die from the coronavirus. And we're left with the question, where is God in all this? Has God fell asleep at the wheel? Has God distanced himself from humanity? Does God not care? Or maybe God knows and he cares, but he just doesn't have the power to do anything about it. I don't know about you, but in times like these, I am tended to believe that I should take control of the wheel of human history because the reality is many times I trust myself more than I trust God. You know, Psalm 23 is written by King David. And you may wonder, what does King David know about the coronavirus? And the answer is, he doesn't really know anything about the coronavirus. But King David does know about an epidemic. He does know about a plague. If you have a chance, you can read in 2 Samuel chapter 24 about this plague. David's In David's reign, thousands of people were killed by this plague in Israel. I mean, right now, the last I looked, there's about 24,000 people worldwide who have died of the coronavirus, which is horrible and tragic, and, and it causes grief. But in, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, nearly three times the amount of the people, 70,000 people died in Israel alone. And so David knows what it looks like to live in and through an epidemic while at the same time trusting the goodness and the sovereignty of God. Psalm 23 was written probably when David was be, being pursued by his rebellious son. You see, his rebellious son, Absalom, killed one of his other sons, Amnon, who was from a different wife. And after killing the son, he ran away, and then he, he came back to Jerusalem, and he stole the throne from David, and he wooed the people of Israel to himself. And then he turned on David, and he started to pursue David, to kill David. He and his posse were, were pursuing David. And so David is running for his life. He is being hunted down by his own son and his own militia. He is fleeing for his life. He's helpless. He is vulnerable. He must feel very out of control. And yet, in the context of this situation, David writes Psalm 23. Now, David starts Psalm 23 with five extremely powerful and majestic words. The Lord is my shepherd. David is going to expand on this throughout the entirety of the psalm, but this is the main point of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's just sit there for a little bit. First, he says, the Lord. That is Jehovah, the great I am, the personal name of God that is written 6,500 times in the Old Testament, the self-existent, self-sufficient I am, the one who in Genesis 2 created the heavens and the earth, the one who caused it to rain and to stop raining, the God who formed man and woman, the Lord who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, the Lord who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, the Lord who delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, the Lord who had brought them into the promised land. David is talking about the eternal, infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, unchanging God, the great 
an awesome God of the universe. That Lord, the only Lord, the Lord of all creation and glory and majesty of that Lord, David says, he is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. This claim is a privilege that all the people of God have today and in the time of David. This alone should cause us to pause in awe. How could it be that the Lord God who existed before the universe, who created the universe, who is sustaining the universe, how could that Lord God be my shepherd? I mean, isn't he busier with more important things? Doesn't he have to take care of Neptune? I mean, why would God care to be my shepherd? Earth is just a small blip in the universe, and I'm just a small blip on that small blip of planet Earth, and I'm just here for a vapor, a moment of time on planet Earth in this humongous universe. And so why in the world would God care for me? That is a great question. And yet we have this privilege to say the Lord Almighty is my shepherd. You know, we're often quick to point out that the saints in the Old Testament had a corporate view of their community and of God. Right here we see a personal, intimate relationship that David rejoices in, that the Lord is not our shepherd, which is true, but that the Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? And if he is your shepherd... Why is that great news right now? Psalm 23 tells us that in the midst of the coronavirus, in the midst of the burdens of this world, it's good news that the Lord is our shepherd because the Lord takes care of his sheep. Much better than the sheep can take care of themselves. Psalm 23, David flushes this out, and we'll look at three ways that the Lord takes care of his sheep. First, we see the Lord provides for his sheep. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This phrase, I shall not want, is very interesting because it's not a command. David isn't saying, listen, God's your shepherd, stop wanting, don't want anything. It's not what he's saying. He's making a true statement. He said, The Lord is your shepherd, therefore you have no want. I love the way the NIV translates it. It translates this verse, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. David uses this illustration of sheep and a shepherd, not only because David at one time was a shepherd, but because David knew that sheep were the most helpless animals on the face of the earth. They were extremely unintelligent and defenseless. And so in and of themselves, they could not provide for their needs, but their shepherd could. And so how is it that those who have the Lord as their shepherd can say, I lack nothing? Even if we can't get all the food we want, even if we can't get all the supplies we want, even if we can't get all the social interaction we want, how can we say, I lack nothing? Because the Lord is my shepherd, and it's because the Lord 
provides for us. I want to show you quickly four ways that the Lord provides for us. First, in verse two, it says, the Lord makes us rest. Okay. Sorry. The Lord rests his sheep. Verse two, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures were places of cool and refreshment and rest. Matter of fact, sheep need to lay down just so that they can digest the food that they have been grazing. And oftentimes, they're too dumb to do it. They'll just keep going and going and going so they can't digest any of their food. So the shepherd settles the the situation around them, calms their soul enough that he can lay them down in green pastures. You know, we are so much like those sheep, aren't we? We we are going and going and going, even to our own detriment. Even if we don't have a lot of activities, we can binge watch Netflix or play a bunch of video games and we're just going and going and going. And we have so much trouble just being still and knowing that he is God. And so God, as our good shepherd, creates rest for his sheep. He's done this weekly with a Sabbath day, a day where we draw back from our ordinary duties and we rest in the Lord and consider his word and his truth and his love for us. He creates rest throughout various various circumstances, like when there is a canceled appointment or a sick day or maybe even through this virus. I don't know about you, but without kids' sports and other outside activities, things are slowing down. And again, we can tend to fill it with the busyness of, uh, of, of recreational things. But this is an opportunity to be still and to know that the Lord is your shepherd, to, to reflect and to be refreshed by prayer and journaling and reflection and reading. God also gives us rest simply by taking on the shepherding responsibilities. I mean, David is running for his life and he is trusting in the Lord to provide for him food and shelter and protection. It's so interesting that David starts with rest, but that's exactly what our souls long for. Our deepest need is to rest in God and our shepherd provides that rest, even when our world seems to be falling apart. God not only rests his sheep, but like a good shepherd, the Lord also nourishes his sheep. It says, he leads me beside still waters. The sheep in the Middle East, which are pictured here in Psalm chapter 23, um, needed water daily. And they had to choose the right water. They couldn't go to water that was too fast because sheep could be swept away or water that was too still because it would be stagnant and full of pollution and contaminants and disease. And so the shepherd would take them to the right stream where they could get the nutrients that they needed for their bodies. The Lord as our shepherd does the same for our souls. I mean, have you ever noticed when you're going through a hard time how God will put a verse on your heart to minister to you, or how God will put a song on the radio that will be a soothing balm to your soul. Or have you ever noticed how a friend or a complete stranger or just a billboard will say something that will give you clarity and truth and joy? All of these are reminders that the good shepherd is at work nourishing his sheep. And so the good shepherd provides for us by providing us rest and nourishment. But the Lord also restores his sheep. Verse two, again, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Philip Keller was a shepherd who became a pastor. And he remarks on this verse that oftentimes sheep are cast down 
You can think of it from other Psalms where it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? But what happens is that when sheep get a lot of wool and even if they, if they become pregnant, they become top heavy. And so they may lay down for a, a nap or lay down for some reason. And if they wiggle around enough, they will get their feet out to the side of them and then they'll start to panic and they will squirm more and they'll end up on their back. And there's literally nothing they can do to get back on their feet. And the result of this is it cuts off circulation to their legs. And in a matter of hours, the sheep actually dies. And in that moment, the only one that can restore that sheep is the shepherd. He's the only one around who can turn them over and put them back on their feet. The Lord restores his sheep. We see a picture of this after the resurrection of Jesus. If you remember before Jesus went to the cross, Peter said, Lord, I will never depart from you. I will, I will never betray you. And, and three times he disowned Jesus. And so after Jesus' resurrection, he restores Peter fully and completely three times saying, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this is the act of the shepherd restoring his sheep. This is great news for fellow sin strugglers in a fallen world. If you have messed up in your sin again and again and again, or if you are in a situation that is outside of your control, that is just bringing misery into your life, the good shepherd comes time and time again when we are cast down, when we are laying on our backs and he turns us over and he lifts us up and he restores us and puts us back on our feet. We have no want If the Lord is our shepherd because he rests us, because he nourishes us, because he restores us, but finally because he leads us. Verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. You know, how good would a shepherd be if the shepherd rested his sheep, nourished his sheep, restored his sheep, and then allowed a sheep to walk off a cliff (laughs) or walk into a lion's den? You see, sheep are followers by nature. Their life is one big game of follow the leader. And so if the lead sheep walks off a cliff, the rest of the sheep will walk off a cliff. The reality is we are like sheep. We are all following someone or something. Typically, we are following the ways of the world, the the values of the world. And because of this, it leads to misery and death. But if the Lord is your shepherd, by his grace, he has not left you to the limitation of following other sheep. He hasn't left you to the limitation of your own sheep-sized brain. The Lord leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. That is paths of wholeness and goodness and joy. And God does this by his word through his spirit. And God does this, as David tells us, ultimately for his namesake. Certainly he does this because he loves us and he cares for us. But ultimately for his namesake, that others could see the greatness of our shepherd by the way he leads us in paths of righteousness. I heard a story this past week of a member of our church who was going into work and he was sitting with two of his co-workers and his workers were just fretting over the coronavirus. They were anxious. They were afraid. They were scared. But they saw that this member of our church wasn't. And so finally they asked him, they said, why aren't you afraid? And he responded, because I have faith in Christ. And I believe Excuse me, I believe that things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. 
The man's peace in the midst of the storm displayed the glory of our great shepherd and gave him an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, which these co-workers were receptive to and had a lot of questions about. You see, friends, peace like this in times is not possible in and of ourselves because we know that we are vulnerable and we are not in control. A peace like this is only possible if we have a wise and mighty and loving shepherd that we are certain can provide for all of our needs, both in life and in death. Only then can we confidently say the world is not falling apart, but the world is falling into place. The Lord is my shepherd, and this is great. This leaves us without want because he provides for all of our needs, including rest for our weary soul, nourishment for our hungry soul, restoration for our cast-down soul, And he leads us, our wandering soul. The Lord not only provides for his sheep, but the second thing is that the Lord also guides and guards his sheep. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death, that is a very popular phrase that you've probably heard before. You see, the valley was a dangerous place for sheep. The valley is a place where a pack of wolves could trap them and devour them. A valley would have been a place where where predators could hide in the canyon walls and jump out and kill them. The shadow of death represents the deepest darkness imaginable. For David, the shadow of death, the valley that he was experiencing at this time is that he was fleeing for his life. He was fleeing away from his son, Absalom, and the militia that were seeking to kill him. And yet, in the midst of this terrifying situation, as he walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he could go on to say, I will fear no evil. Why does David not fear the evil that is chasing after him? And he tells us, for you, the shepherd Lord, the great I am, are with me. You know, as a kid, I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis, and the suburbs of St. Louis are are pretty safe. Um, There's not a whole lot of crime out there. But occasionally we would go downtown St. Louis, um, typically for a Cardinals baseball game. And I remember when we'd go downtown for a Cardinals baseball game, there wasn't a lot of parking, at least an expensive parking close to the stadium. And so we'd have to park about two miles away underneath the highway because the highway was about three stories in the air. And we would, we would park underneath the highway and then we'd have to walk about two miles to the stadium. And as a young child, that was a very scary thing for me. I mean, there was a lot of loud noises that I wasn't used to, semi-trucks, horns, people yelling and screaming. Uh, we would we would walk down streets that were right next on on sidewalks that were right next to the street and huge trucks would pass by us. We would even walk past some people in some alleys that looked very scary to me as a child. But what calmed my soul in the midst of that journey is that my father was with me. I still can remember putting my small hand into his giant palm as he led me towards the stadium. He was actually a pretty large guy, pretty intimidating. He's trimmed down some, but at that time he was scary to other people. He was bigger than the people that I was afraid of. And I could rest in his presence knowing that he loved me, that he was for me, and that he was guiding me for my good. 
As we walk through scary situations in our life, and there are many, the only thing that can calm our soul is if we grasp that our shepherd is bigger than the scary things, and he loves us, and he is for us, and he is with us every step of the way, even through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 verse 4 goes on. I'll just start at the beginning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is like a club that the shepherd would use to beat off wild animals. And the staff was something that a shepherd used to guide his sheep, to direct them where he wanted them to go. And this is so important for this reason. And I want to make sure you hear this. So if you've been tuning out, focus back in. The shepherd not only guides his sheep to still waters, and to green pastures, and out of the valley of the shadow of death. But the Lord also guides his sheep into the valley of the shadow of death. You see, while the valley is full of danger, in a hot climate, the valley was also a place where you could get a cool breeze or shade. The valley is a place where the water would be. It's where rich vegetation would be. And in the valley, because it was dangerous but also rich, it was a time that the shepherd kept close watch on his sheep and drew them close to him. And this is what David is expressing, that he is experiencing with the Lord. I don't know if you notice this, but the language changes in verse 4 in how David refers to the Lord. In verses 2 and 3, he refers to the Lord in the third person. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But then we get to verse 4. The valley of the shadow of death. And David is no longer talking about the Lord as his shepherd. David is now talking to the Lord as his shepherd. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No longer he, but you and your. Why is it that David in walking through the valley of the shadow of death, is talking to God so intimately and personally. It's because often it is in the valley of the shadow of death that the Lord, as our shepherd, is transformed into a theologic, from a theological concept into a personal, experiential treasure for our soul. You see, growing up, I knew a lot about God. I went to church on Sundays. I'm glad I did. I went to, to, to religion school. I'm glad I did. I knew a lot about God, but I did not know God. That is until I went through the valley. You see, when I was in high school, um, I tried out for a lot of sports teams. Growing up, I dreamed of playing high school sports. I dreamed of playing professional sports. And every team I tried out for in high school, I got cut. And you can imagine, as a kid, that was crushing. And then my best friend, started dating a girl, and he disappeared for years. He never came back. And then my family started falling apart. My parents' marriage started falling apart. The world was falling apart, and yet it was in the midst of that dark, dark valley that I not only knew about the Lord, but I started to actually know the Lord for myself. I praise God that he has taken me through the valley because in the valley, the shepherd has drawn me closer to himself. Christian, if Psalm 23 is true, then the coronavirus did not catch God off guard. It isn't as if God said, oh, I didn't see that coming or that God doesn't have the power to overcome the coronavirus. Rather, if 
this is a valley that God has led us into. He has done it for our good to draw us close to himself as the good shepherd. This may be a means through which God is creating a worldwide revival where people turn to a power higher than themselves and find the great shepherd of their souls. And so let me make this just a little more, little more personable, personal for you. What valley are you going through right now? Maybe because of the coronavirus, uh, you are around your family more than usual and you are just not sure how you are going to survive the quarantine. Maybe uh, because of the coronavirus, you are more isolated than usual. Maybe because of the virus, you're not sure if you're going to have enough paychecks to pay for the bills. Maybe because of the virus, you are afraid that you are going to get sick and that you are going to die. Or maybe your valley has nothing to do with coronavirus. Maybe it's a difficult marriage or a family relationship. Maybe it's a lifelong struggle to addiction. Maybe it's battling depression. Whatever the valley is that you are going through, you are going through it because the shepherd Lord has led you there because that valley has been ordained by God for your good. God leads us in the valley because our greatest need is not health. It is not safe travels. It is not financial security. Our greatest need is to know our divine shepherd, to know his nearness, his compassion, his power, his provision, his love. And God will take you through whatever valley is necessary that you might not just know about him, but that more and more you may know him. Now, just to be clear before we move on, Psalm 23 does not promise we will not die. And it does not promise that we will not die of the coronavirus. But what it does promise to God's people is that we will not die before God's appointed time. And we will not die alone. Because even if we go through the valley of death itself, the Lord is with us every step of the way in this life and the life to come. And that brings us to our final point. And so just to review, the Lord is our shepherd who creates no wants for us because he provides for us. He guides us and guards us. And finally, because he blesses us abundantly. The imagery here changes a little bit. It's no longer sheep and shepherd. It's more a picture of a, a host and his guests. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table, literally a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. It's so interesting here because God doesn't remove the enemies from David, but in the presence of his enemies, God creates a feast that the enemies cannot touch. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. These are both visual representations of abundance. Uh, oil was, was expensive, but it was anointed on people when it was a great celebration. And the cup that he talks about here, it wasn't half filled. It wasn't mostly full. It wasn't filled to the brim. It was a cup that was overflowing with the blessings of God. You know, during this time of the coronavirus, people can feel like God does not exist or he's not involved or he doesn't care. But make no mistake, God loves to bless his sheep. He loves to lavish his love upon us. He loves to fill our cups to overflowing amounts, even when the enemies of sickness and disease and death seek to destroy us. Even in those times, God prepares a feast for our souls. As sheep of this great shepherd, 
We can feast on God's presence through prayer. We can feast on God's wisdom through his word. We can feast on God's grace through the sacraments. We can feast on his beauty through creation, on his love through adoption, on his forgiveness through the gospel. We can feast, we can feast, we can feast even in the presence of our enemies. But it gets better. For one day, for God's sheep, there comes an greater abundance of blessing. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy, that word mercy means steadfast love, it's covenant language. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then here it is. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an amazing thought. That all the blessings that God has given to us in this world are just an appetizer, just a shadow of the greatest blessing which is to come, which is the presence of the Lord himself in the fullest measure that we could possibly imagine. Let me illustrate it this way. When Trish and I were dating, it was wonderful. I loved that I got to go on dates with her, to hold her hand, to go on walks with her, to talk to her on the phone. Uh, we got engaged, and it was still great. We got to do those things. I actually moved from Missouri up to Eau Claire, and I lived alone in the basement of this elderly woman's house, waiting to be married to Trish, even though we were engaged. And engagement was wonderful as well. We could have dinners together, go on walks together, and talk together. And it was wonderful. But it was not enough. We didn't long to be engaged. We longed to be married. We long for the day where we would not have to say goodbye at the end of it and go our separate ways. We long for the day where we could have every moment together. We long for the day where we could dwell in a house together, even if it was in the basement of some elderly woman's house. Dating Trisha was great. Being engaged to her was wonderful, but it did not satisfy us. We longed for a greater intimacy physically, spiritually, and relationally that was only satisfied when we were married. Christians, right now, we are engaged to the Lord of glory. And engagement is wonderful. We get to enjoy the presence of God, community with God, communion with God. We get to enjoy the blessings of God, the beauty of God, the glory of God. But that does not compare to the day when we will be wed to the Lord, when we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and we will enjoy all the blessings of God in full forever and ever and ever. Let me end with this. Is the Lord your shepherd? If not, do you want the Lord to be your shepherd? I know many of us romanticize King David as this perfect man. But the reason why David was running for his life was because of David's sin. You see, David was a bad sheep. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had brought sin and turmoil into his family. And because of that, he had division in his family and there was killing in his family. And now they were trying to kill him. You see, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But then it gives us great hope. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the him that is being spoken of in Isaiah 53? What is the iniquity? Well, in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. 
and my own know me. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus takes Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd and now applies that shepherding to himself and says, I am the good shepherd. I know you. I love you. And I lay down my life for you. And how did he do this? by becoming a sheep for us. And like a sheep led to the slaughter, he took on our sin, he bore our iniquity, and he went to the cross. He went into the, not just into the shadow of death, but into death itself and came through the other side, raising from the dead so that you and I can enter the valley of death itself and know that we will be taken out as well by the Lord who is our shepherd, who will walk with us every step of the way in life and in death and through death and after death when we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you want the Lord as your shepherd, you must trust in Christ as the great shepherd who knows your name, who has bore your iniquity in your sin, who has paid for it upon the cross, and who has conquered the valley of shadow of death on our behalf, so that we can dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. So what what hope and peace is there for us in the midst of this pandemic? Can you read Psalm 23 again with me? Because that's the answer. Psalm 23, let's read it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are not a distant God, but that you are near to us in this time of tribulation. How you are our shepherd that is tenderly providing for us, guarding us, leading us and blessing us. Thank you for the hope that we have of heaven, that this world is not all that there is, God, but there there is a greater world coming, our final resting place, our home where we will be in your house and dwell with you forever and ever. God, may the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds in this time that we might live as sheep, of the great shepherd. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one more thought. If this psalm ministers to you in this time like it does to me, um, there's six verses. You can pick a verse a day. This is what I'm going to do with my family. Just to memorize Psalm 23 and bury it in my soul so that we can treasure it when we need to be reminded that the Lord is our shepherd. Love you all.